Well, hey, uh, I'm calling an audible today here, the first week of 2015. We're going to take a detour from 1 Samuel. Uh, we'll resume 1 Samuel next week. But this week, I want to just focus on a special uh, New Year's-themed message. Um, and uh, so if you'll open your Bibles to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3, mark your place there. We'll come back to that. Uh, Mark your place and then turn to Hebrews chapter 9. So Colossians chapter 3, mark your place. uh, And then continue on to the right to Hebrews chapter 9. And that's where we will start uh, today. As you're making your way there, perhaps you've heard the story, uh, there's a, a man who, he's not feeling so great, so he goes to the doctor to get some tests. And, uh, and so, you know, they run a barrage of tests on him, and uh, hey, you know, in a few weeks we'll get the results of that test, we'll, we'll let you know. So the day comes, they have the results of all the tests, and, uh, and so the doctor himself <clears throat> calls the man, gets him on the phone, he says, hey, uh, we got the results of your test in, uh, all of your tests, and, and I'd like to talk to you about it. So, look, I've got an appointment open at 2 o'clock today in the office. Can, can you come down? Because I'd really like to sit down and go over the, the results with you. And the guy says, uh, oh, okay. Uh, isn't that something we can go over on the phone? The doctor says, no, there's just a lot to talk about, and, and so I'd just really rather do it in person. No doubt you're going to have some questions, and so I, I, I'd like to just do it in person. Two o'clock, okay? I said, yeah, okay, two o'clock will be good. doctor says, hey, one more thing. Your wife wouldn't happen to be there with, with you, would she? And he says, well, yeah, as a matter of fact, she's right here. He says, hey, can I talk to her? Okay, so he hands the phone to his wife. doctor wants to talk to you, and so the doctor gets on the phone with the wife. He says, listen, I... Um, I need to prepare you. He says, uh, your husband, uh, his test results came in, and and I just have to tell you, they're not good. He said, you know, um, your husband has a very serious condition, and and, and it's, in in fact, it's life-threatening. She says, oh, dear. He says, yes, now now here's, here's what I just need to prepare you for. He says, you know, with your husband's condition, and I'll explain all this to you when you get in, but I just need you to be prepared. He says, you know, uh, stress for your husband will absolutely kill him. So, so what I need you to do is to do everything you can to eliminate stress from his life. So, so, so ma'am, what that means is that really you're going to have to take on the burden of the household. You're going to have to do all of the work. You're going to have to do all of the chores, the things that he would normally do, you're going to need to do. You're going to have to cook for him. You're going to have to clean for him. You're, you're going to have to just really, he just set him on the couch with the, t- with the remote control, let him watch football, let him watch, you know, all the car shows he wants to watch, let him watch all the military channel stuff he wants to watch, all the Discovery Channel all the gold rush, whatever it is, just let him, you just need to let him do that and wait on him hand and foot, okay? Can you do that for me? She says, thank you, doctor. And so she hangs up. The husband says, what did the doctor say? She goes, baby, the doctor says you're going to (laughs) die. The truth is, we are all going to die. The statistics are overwhelming. 10 out of 10 people die, you know? Uh, and, and no, ain't, no, ain't a single one of us getting out alive. It's actually very interesting. According to the World Health Organization, who keeps statistics on this stuff, 
um, they, they actually have estimated <clears throat> lifespans for everybody uh, in, in all the different countries. What do you suppose the lifespan projected for men in the United States is? Anybody want to hazard a guess? 70 what? 76? 72? 98? 80? 98, that would be great. That's wishful thinking right there. It's 77 years old. According to the World Health Organization, the average U.S. man lives 77 years. What about women? What do you think? 85. 90. It's 82. 82 years old. Again, according to the World Health Organization. Now, I'll just tell you, up until recently, those were just numbers to me. But this last May, I turned 50. And... um, I started doing the math, and you know, statistically speaking, I got 27 years left. It gets serious all of it. It got serious to me. I got a 29-year-old daughter. I'm like, are you kidding me? Because like it was yesterday that I was holding her newborn in my arms, and now, statistically, I ain't got that much time left in my life, right? How's that for a bummer of a start to a message right there? But, you know, the, the, the fact is, you know, it could be longer, it could be shorter. The truth is nobody really knows, right? Here's what James said. He said, how do you know what your life will be like tomorrow? Your life is like the morning fog. It's here a little while, and then it's gone. And that's the truth for every one of us. And the fact is, no man knows the day or the hour. It is only known by God. Which brings us to Hebrews chapter 9. Verse 27, and our focus for launching pad for the message today, where we read, And it is appointed for men to die once, but after this the judgment. Now there's two things I just want to call your attention to here, just as a launching pad for our message this morning, okay? Two things in this, in this verse. The first one is that your time of death is appointed by God. It is an absolute appointment. There's nothing whatsoever that you can do to change that appointment. Jesus said this. He said, And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? You will not change that appointment. Some of us are good at keeping appointments. Some of us are bad at keeping appointments. Some of us are on time to everything. Some of us are late to everything. My father-in-law, if he's not there 10 minutes early, he's late in his mind. Drives me crazy. We're supposed to be there in 10 minutes, he'll be calling. Are you coming? Yeah, in 10 minutes. Now he knows me, he's on to me, and the reason he calls is because I'm late to everything. I told Brenda, when I, when I die and we have the service, I want you to wheel me in after everybody is already seated so I can be late to my own funeral, you know? And, uh, and, and so, you know... Well, I don't know where you're at, if you're early, if you're late, but I guarantee you this is one appointment that you're going to keep. It is appointed unto man once to die, and you will keep that appointment. The day you're born, the time of your death, the date of your death, the hour of your death, the second of your death, it's appointed. Ain't nothing you can do to change it. The second thing I want you to notice is that after you die, you will face judgment. Now, why will we face judgment? The short answer is sin. Sin is an archery term. It means to miss the mark. 
And, and so, you know, you're shooting your arrows, you're aiming for the bullseye, you miss the bullseye, you are considered the sinner. You have missed the mark. And, and the definition implies that you can miss without really wanting to. Everything in you can be trying to hit that mark of perfection. But the moment that you miss it, you are, in fact, <clears throat> a sinner. And the Bible says that all have sinned. And fall short of the glory of God. And the consequence of that, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death. Now this is both a physical death and a spiritual death. Because you are both physical and spiritual. And so when you, born into sin and living a life that, hey, it's not perfect. When I live my life in a way that is not perfect, and and, and there's not a single one of us that's excluded from that. The fact of the matter is that we are a sinner and so we have both a physical death as a consequence and we have a spiritual death as a consequence. But Romans 8.10 says, If Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. In other words, Even though you can't escape your appointment with physical death, you can escape spiritual death by trusting in God's provision. John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. The Bible teaches that because God loves you so much, he sent his only son to die. He died on the cross for your sins in your place. And he offers to you and he offers to me the hope of escaping the consequences of our sin, which is spiritual death. And the way that we do that is we trust in the only one who has never sinned, that's Jesus Christ. We trust in the fact that this perfect sacrifice was paid. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. The wages of sin is death. In other words, what you earn for being a sinner is your life. You have, to, you have to die. But Jesus gave his perfect life as a substitute for you and for me. And so we read in Romans 10, 9, If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus Christ and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. It's a matter of saying, you know what? I believe that. I absolutely believe it. I I, I confess with my mouth that, that Jesus is Lord. I believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead. And when he rose from the dead and he conquered sin and death, I believe that in Christ I can rise from the dead spiritually and that I can conquer sin and death. That I can have the hope of everlasting life. And the Bible says this in 2 Corinthians, that if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. That old things have passed away, and behold, all things become new. And so what that means is that today, you are either a new creation in Christ, or you are an unrepentant man or woman who is lost, who's dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, here's what I want you to understand. Either way, whichever category you're in, you face judgment when you die. And you go, wait wait a minute. If I'm a new creation in Christ and I'm forgiven of my sins, why do I still have to face judgment? Well, the answer for that is because there's two different types of judgment. 
There are two different types of judgment. There's a judgment for the believer, and there's a judgment for the unbeliever. And, and, and so those who do not believe in Christ, those who haven't surrendered their life to the Lordship of Christ, what is awaiting them is what's called the great white throne judgment. And this is where you will be judged according to your works. Okay? You're going to be judged according to your works. Now, this is for, for everyone who rejects Jesus. But listen, here's the scary part. And I, and I think this might apply to some here this morning. And so pay close attention to what I'm about to say. There are many who, in their relationship with God, I use that in loose terms, basically, if, if you were to interact with them, what you come to find is that they're trusting. They go, yeah, I believe in God. And, and, and okay, so here's the, here's the money question. How do you know you're going to heaven? And I would, ask, I would pose that question to you this morning. How do you know that you're going to heaven? Now, it's a great litmus test because what happens is, is that if you have the, that person whose answer to that question, how do you know you're going to heaven? If the answer is, well, because, you know, I haven't killed anybody. I'm not Charles Manson. And some people, that is their answer. I mean, how's that for, for an entry exam to heaven, you know? How do you qualify to go to heaven? Well, I'm not a murderer. Why should I hire you for this job? Well, I haven't killed anybody. Oh, great qualification, you know? So, so how do you know you're going to heaven? Well, I haven't killed anybody. I, I'm not like Charles Manson. I'm a decent guy. I'm a decent gal. Okay, scary blanket right there, man. That's the, that right there is, the, is a scary answer because what it smacks of is, oh, I'm, 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 I'm going to get to heaven based on a sliding scale and because I'm not as bad as that guy, then I can go to heaven. A, a variant of that is, hey, how do you know, know you're going to heaven? Well, you know what? I'm a good person. I, I keep the Ten Commandments. You know, what I like to do when somebody gives me that answer, I, people give that answer. Well, I, I just live by the Ten Commandments. You don't even know the Ten Commandments. You tell me the Ten Commandments. Uh, you know, if, 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 I, people, you know, who say they live by the Ten Commandments challenge you. Hey, what are the Ten Commandments? I mean, if you can't name them, then how do you live by them, you know? And so any of those kind of answers, basically, the, the, it, 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 it reveals, look, you probably aren't in Christ. Because the right answer to the question of how do you know you're going to heaven is only one answer. There is one question on the entry exam to heaven. What did you do with Jesus Christ? You either trusted that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, who was the only perfect sacrifice for my sin. He died on the cross for my sin in my place. And what is my hope in? It's certainly not in Ted. Because Ted's a sinner. My hope is not in the, in the, the fact that, that my good works outweigh my bad works. My hope is not in the fact that I keep the Ten Commandments. My hope is not in the fact that I'm not Charles Manson. My hope is in the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, died on the cross for my sins. And I've placed all my hope in Him and all my trust in Him. And I've said, Lord, thank you that you have paid the penalty for my sin. And I'm trusting in Jesus Christ and Him alone. And so if, if, if today you fall outside of that. If today you would honestly answer the question, and here's the deal, you don't have to answer the question to me, it's just between you and the Lord. If today you would honestly answer the question and say, 
am I trusting in my works? Am I trusting in something else? You know, do I, my answer to the hope of heaven, is it something different? Or have I just flat out rejected Jesus Christ? Then you are in the camp where you are not in Christ. And your judgment will be the great white throne judgment where God will judge you according to your works. Which is scary because the Bible says all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So you already know, biblically speaking, that your works fall short. That's the judgment for those that are, are outside of a saving faith in Christ. Now, for those in a relationship with Christ, here's what your judgment is. Your judgment is that you will go to the judgment seat of Christ. And at the judgment seat of Christ, what will happen there is that your works will be judged. Okay? This is the judgment of your works. It's not being judged by your works. It's the judgment of your works. And there's an ocean of difference between the two. This is, this is a judgment, as, not as it pertains to righteousness. This is a judgment as it pertains to reward. Okay? Um, now, I'll explain that more in a minute. But Jesus explained basically the first part of this process in Matthew uh, chapter 25. He I put it on the screen for you. It says, When the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all His holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory, All the nations will be gathered before him, Jesus is speaking of himself, and he will separate them, the people, one from another, as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And he will set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on the left. Now, having separated the two groups, those who haven't received Christ, the goats, they will appear before the great white throne judgment in Revelation chapter 20. I'll have you turn there in just a minute. But the sheep he puts on his right hand, those who have received Christ, they go then to the judgment seat of Christ. Here's what 2 Corinthians says about that. It says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he has done, whether good or bad. Again, this is where our, our works are going to be judged, not unto salvation, but unto reward. Uh, and our salvation, it's already been established because we've, we've answered the question, entry exam, I'm trusting in Jesus, dying on the cross for my sin in my place. Okay, so you're in, but now let's look at your works. Are you going to get any reward for your works as a follower of the Lord, as a believer uh, in, in the Lord? And you go, well, what is reward in heaven? I, I don't really know, but, but, I'll, but I'll, I'll hazard a guess in the sense that when you read in the book of Revelation, you see there the elders worshiping the Lord and they have these crowns and they toss their crowns at the foot of the Lord. And I envision that the reward that I will get will be that crown that I can toss at the feet of the Lord. That I can have something to give the Lord in heaven to say, I'm worshiping you and I have something with which to worship you here. And I'm, and I'm, I'm worshiping you, Lord. It's not in my notes, but just to just kind of put a heart on that. I, I remember when, you know, when I first came to the Lord, um, there was a lot of my life that was that was out of balance. One of the areas where I was completely out of balance was my finances, and uh, and I was I I just worked very diligently to say, Lord, I want to worship you with every area of my life. And when God helped me to get my finances straightened out to where I could worship Him with my giving. It just, it was, it was such a joy for me to be able to worship the Lord in that way. To say, Lord, now I can worship you with every part of my life. 
And so, so you know, this is the, the reward that we will, will appear before the judgment seat of Christ. Our works will be judged for, for, as to reward. And um, in 1 Corinthians 3, it tells us that some of our works are, are gold and silver and precious stone, but some of our works are wood, hay, and stubble, and those things are going to be burned up. That's the stuff that I, that I didn't really do for the Lord as worship. That's the stuff that I did really more for me. Oh, Lord, I'm going on a mission trip to serve you. No, you're not. You're going on a mission trip because you want to take a vacation. You know, that's wood, hay, stubble. That's the stuff that gets burned up, you know. And so the Lord himself will decide what is gold, what is silver, what is precious stones. What were those things that we did really to honor him? Paul said this, he said, if, any, if anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. In other words, there's some Christians going to be in heaven in the smoking section, man. They're just going to like, I got, I got nothing else. I got here by the skin of my teeth, but thank you, Jesus, you know. And, and so, so, I mean, we laugh, but the, but the fact of the matter is, and this is kind of what I want you to get, and we'll come back to this, but, but the idea is that as believers, our life should count. As believers, our life should count for something. To where we can live our lives not to earn God's love, but from God's love, because we have received so much. God has demonstrated his own love towards us in this, that while we we're yet sinners, Christ died for us. And man, when you get a hold of that, then you say, Lord, you died for me. I want to live for you. I want to bring you glory and honor with my life and how, and how I live. So for those of you who have given your lives to Christ by faith, this is your future. We're going to come back to this. But for those of you that have not surrendered your life to Christ or you've been trusting in your works rather than really trusting in God's work, well, then your future is the great white throne judgment. Uh, turn to, to Revelation chapter 20, if you would, real quick. Because I want to take a look at this. This is, this is the judgment that awaits those that have rejected Christ or those that have trusted in their own works rather than trusting in, in Christ's work. Revelation 20, pick it up at verse 11, and John writes this, Then I saw a great white throne, and him, Jesus, who sat on it, from whose faith the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. <clears throat> Sorry, I said Jesus is God the Father sitting on the throne. Um, and I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God. And books were opened, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged according to their works. I have that underlined in my Bible. They were judged according to their works. You don't want to be judged according to your works. You want to be judged according to the work of Jesus Christ. But the dead were judged according to their works by the things which were written in the books. The sea gave up the dead who were in it. And death and Hades delivered up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one, according to his works. And then death and Hades were cast into the lake of fire. This is the second death. Okay, You die physically. Now judgment and this is the dying of this is the spiritual death, the second death. 
And anyone not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. Listen, here's what I want you to hear. If you are here today and you're trusting in your own works, rather than trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ and His work, this is your future and I don't want you to be judged this way. I would, I would just implore you, I would invite you today, trust in Jesus Christ and His work on the cross for you. And I, I, and, and, and I will give you an invitation at the end of this message to, to trust in the Lord Jesus Christ so that this is not the judgment that, that you will face upon your death. However long or short that may be. How many years that may be from now. Your life's a vapor. You're here for a little while. And then you're gone. And man, we're all going to be judged and I do not want you to be judged in this way. And so I would invite you to trust Jesus Christ. Now, for those of you who are saved, who say, listen, I, I have prayed. I have received the salvation that, that the Bible promises. I'm trusting in Jesus and His atoning work. I would say, wonderful, your destiny then is the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. And I'd like you to prepare for that. Turn to Colossians chapter 3. Just read the first several verses here. If then, Paul writes, you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things of the earth. For you died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth. And then he goes on to give a list of the things that we are to put to death through. We'll come back to that. Now he starts off here by saying, if then you were raised with Christ. And it's not if then, maybe you are, maybe you aren't. He's writing to believers and he's saying, look, if then and you are. Listen, you, if you've professed Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior and you're trusting in his work on the cross, then you are saved. And, and he says then, if then you were raised with Christ, then then." Basically, uh, you, you need to, to set your mind on things above. The eye being, hey, listen, since you're raised with Christ, you need to act like it. And he touches on three key doctrines here in the text that I just read to you. Uh, he the, he just touches on the doctrines of justification, of sanctification, and of glorification. And those are big Christian words. Let me tell you basically what they mean. The doctrine of justification, he says, see it there in verse 1, if then or since you were raised with Christ. This speaks of the, the doctrine of justification. This is a simple sentence with big implications. Basically what it means, hey, it, it means just as if I hadn't sinned. It's, it, justification is the work of Jesus in the past on the cross. Okay, It's all we've been talking about. Because of the grace of, the person, the grace of God in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, we've been justified. Romans 3.24 says, We are justified freely by His grace through the redemption that's in Jesus Christ. And there's nothing that we can do to earn that salvation, that, that, that justification with God. The Bible says, For by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's the gift of God. It goes on to say, Not of works, lest any man should boast. 
And so, so this, is, this is purely and, and completely how we are justified. Now, hold that thought and notice that Paul next mentions the doctrine of glorification. You see it in verse 4 where he says, When Christ who is our life appears, you also will appear with him in glory. This is, this is the doctrine of glorification. Now, again, whereas justification is the work of Christ in the past, glorification is the work of Jesus in our future, when we will be glorified together with him in heaven. This does not mean, as some have, have falsely, and, and I would say, uh, you know, blasphemously, attested and asserted that glorification is that God wants to glorify you. You will be glorified in heaven, but you're glorified in Him. God glorifies His Son. We are glorified in Jesus Christ. We're not glorified in and of ourselves. And so glorification is the work of Jesus in the future when we're going to be glorified together with Him. Paul put it this way in Romans. He said, Romans 8, 17, And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we also may be glorified together. In other words, just as Jesus Christ rose from the dead, we too will rise from the dead and will appear with him in glory. Okay? Now, what I want you to understand is most Christians live their lives according to those first two doctrines, justification and glorification. I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. That's the way that that's articulated. Hey, what, what's, what's your testimony? I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. Okay, great. What's in between? It's the rest of your life is what's in between. And that's the third doctrine that he talks about here. That's the doctrine of sanctification. And that's what I want to focus on here this morning. Okay? And the remaining minutes that we have left. Sanctification here on this first Sunday of 2015. That's what I want to talk to you about. Okay? What is sanctification? Listen, it's the work of Jesus in the present. It's the work of Jesus in the present. Hey, listen, justification, it's the work of Jesus in the past on the cross. Glorification, it's the work of Jesus in the future, in heaven, when we'll be glorified together with him. But listen, sanctification is the work of Jesus in the present. See, if I live my life, hey, I'm saved, I'm going to heaven, then my question is, great, what about today? What about tomorrow? What about, hey, do you cheat on your taxes? What about, hey, how, what kind of a father are you being? What kind of a mother are you being? What kind of a Christian are you being? What's your testimony? Well, how do you live your life? If, 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 your, if your whole you know, testimony is, I'm saved and I'm going to heaven. Does that just sort of give a wink to, the, to the, the, that vapor of your life that is right now? The today, the tomorrow, the next day, the, hey, it's 2015, what's going on with your life? Listen, that is sanctification. What will be your reward at the judgment seat of Christ? That's what I want, really, the big takeaway here if you're a believer in Christ. That's, what's going to be your reward at the judgment seat of Christ? That, that ought to temper everything you do. It ought to flavor everything that you do. And this doctrine of sanctification is what Paul gets into as he continues through, through the rest of this chapter in Colossians chapter 3 into chapter 4. Basically, we read in verse 5, he's talked about in the 
first four verses, the doctrine of glorification and the, the, the doctrine of justification. But now in verse 5, he says, Therefore, in other words, because you're saved, because your hope is in heaven and you're going to be glorified together with Christ, therefore, what do you do with that? Well, you live your life obeying God today. And he, say, and he goes on to say, hey, there's things you need to put off. There's things that you need to put on. And there's things that you need to do to press on, okay? And, and that's what I, what I need you to get today. Sanctification, here's what the word means. It means to be set apart. It means to be set apart. When we are saved, we're set apart to God unto good works. Not because of our good works, but unto good works. In other words, we're set apart to do good works. And this is what, what the Lord says in Ephesians chapter 2. He says, For we are his workmanship. The word means work of art. The word means poem. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We should walk in them. The emphasis of that word should means sometimes we do, sometimes we don't. And when we we don't, it's it's, it's not to our glory. And a day is coming for you, Christian, when you will stand before the Lord and you will give an account of your life. And so, so we're prepared for those good works. And the Bible says that sanctification is hard work. Listen, salvation, it costs you nothing. It's a free gift to you. For you get, to get saved, and this is what stumbles a lot of people. Hey, to come into a saving faith in Jesus Christ means you just confess that you're a sinner. Yep, I'm guilty. And you receive the gift that God's given to you in Christ Jesus. That costs you nothing. Sanctification, it'll cost you everything. It's hard work. Philippians 2.12 says, Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. So as a believer, as a follower of Christ, it is hard work to, to, to work out your salvation, as, as Paul said to the Philippians. It's hard work. And, 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 and what I tell people all the time, listen, following Jesus Christ It's not just a profession and a prayer. And then you go on with your life and nothing changes. Following Jesus Christ isn't just a profession and a prayer. It's it's much more than that. It's about living a new life with new behaviors and with new habits. And let me tell you again, what this means practically is that there's some things that we need to put off. As Paul will go through in, in this book of Colossians, which we're not going to go through for time's sake this morning, but I encourage you, read these verses. There's some things that we need to put off. There's other things that we need to put on. And there's things that we need to do in pressing on. Paul says, hey, you need to put off things like anger and sexual sin and lying. Those are things that you need to endeavor to put off. As a follower of Christ, there's things you need to put on. Things like love and mercy and humility and kindness and patience. I won't ask for a show of hands, but, but I know as a matter of fact that many of us in 2015 have endeavored, Lord, I, I, want, I want to be, be more loving this year. I want to be more giving this year. I, I want to be more sacrificial this year. I want to I be you know, just, more, just a kinder person. I'm going to be more patient with my kids. And Paul says not only are there things we need to put off and things that we need to put on, but there's things that we need to press on doing. We need to press on with things like prayer and things like, you know, having a thankful attitude. 
Now think about that. Put off, put on, and press on. Man, there's things I gotta put off, there's things I gotta put on, there's things I gotta press on and continue to do. Sounds like the stuff of New Year's resolutions, doesn't it? Doesn't it? You know why people hate New Year's resolutions, by the way? Because we flake out, we don't keep them. I got a friend on Facebook, and he's, he's really athletic and just makes a point all year long of doing what a lot of us say we're going to do on January 1st and, and do till about January 3rd. And he was talking just about how he went to the gym and, and how it's a crack up, you know, New Year's Day, and it's packed, and, uh, and he can't get the machines that he normally uses and stuff. And he, he said, well, next week I'll be able to use them. And, and so a lot of us, we, ha- we have that attitude. But the thing is, you know what? Biblical characters, biblical guys, people that you look to and should look to for inspiration and, and, and motivation in terms of your Christian life, what we come to find out is that they actually, they lived this stuff out. And it wasn't a flash in the pan, New Year's Day kind of thing. It wasn't a first Sunday of the year kind of thing. It was a throughout the year kind of thing. And I want to share with you what I, what I would describe Paul's New Year's resolution, but it was his everyday resolu- resolution. Listen to what he wrote to the Philippians. He said, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind, putting off, and straining towards what is ahead, putting on, and here's the press on, I press on, Toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Do you have a 2015 goal? Do you have 2015 goals this year for your life in Christ? I, I actually, I pray that you would. I think it's a healthy thing. You know, our mission here at Reliance Church is to make disciples who know, love, and serve Jesus Christ and his people. That's what we're all about. We want to make disciples. A disciple is a follower of Christ. We want to make disciples who know, love, and serve Jesus and his people. And this year, we would invite you into the discipleship process. If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, we would invite you to surrender your life to God. To receive him today and the free gift of salvation that he offers you. We would invite you to that. If you're here today and you do know Christ, you are saved. But man, you, are, you resonate and identify with Paul when he says, that that I want to do, I don't do. And that that I don't want to do, that's the thing that I do, doggone it. And if that, if that would with you, I would invite you to know him better this year. Get signed up for, for one of our Bible studies. Get committed to grow in the knowledge of God. We have lots of opportunities for you. We design it that way on purpose. You notice there's a lot of new studies and new opportunities here in the new year. You can get involved in a marriage study. Some of you need that. You can get involved in a financial study. Some of you, your finances are a train wreck. You need that. You can get involved in a a, a Christian foundations class. Are you kidding me? 
Nine weeks of being able to understand, hey, what is it that we believe? And why do we believe it? Getting involved in a growth group, whatever it is. And we invite you to know him better this year. We'd invite you to love him more faithfully this year. To, to do what we pray every single Sunday. To put feet on your faith. To walk out to obey the things that you learn. To develop the relationships here with your brothers and sisters in Christ. To where, hey, as iron sharpens iron, so one man can sharpen the countenance of his friend. The Bible says that we're to bear one another's burdens and thus fulfill the law of Christ. That's, that, that's the love. The Bible, Jesus said, all men will know you're my disciples by the love you have one for another. And we would invite you to love him more faithfully and develop those accountability relationships here in the church that are available to you to develop. And we'd invite you to serve him more fully. To put feet on your faith. Hey, listen, to, to live out the things that that you learn here at church. To be able to get involved in serving Jesus and his people. Being the hands and feet of Christ. Serving the homeless, which we do at our Santiago campus. Serving on a missions team. Serving at one of our outreaches. Serving here on a Sunday morning. Here's the biggest part. And, and imagine what God would do in our valley if we would do this. If we would spend this year saying, Lord, I want to be a witness of you in my home, to my neighbors, to my friends, in my workplace, being an ambassador of Christ as the Bible exhorts us to be. Three questions I would close with today. Have you write them down, take a walk with this week. Number one, is there anything I need to put off in 2015? Anything at all that you need to put off this year? Second question, is there anything I need to put on in 2015? And the third question would be, how can I more effectively press on in 2015? The Bible says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. How can you press on in God's completing work in your life? Listen, my prayer for you and for myself is that we would we would spur one another on towards love and good deeds. we got a lot going on, guys. We have a great opportunity. God has done a wonderful work in our church. He wants to continue to do that wonderful work. And he wants to do that work in you. And he wants to do that work through you.